Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi guys, quick one before we get into the episode. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster, which is the production suite that I've used from the very beginning of this podcast. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, hang around at the end of the episode for our 30% discount referral code. Thanks. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. Are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything. Nailed it's it. a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my prior? God, so many. <laughs> it was perfect. What are you talking about? This is not a Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. You heard it here first. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the right and wrong podcast i'm jamie and today i have a treat for you as it's not only one but two guests it's storytelling power couple kirsty air and adam simcox hey guys welcome to the show hi jamie hey jamie it's good to be here power couple i like it yeah not being called that before (laughs) well between the two of you not only some books out but also uh theater television web series is there any storytelling that you guys don't do? <laughs> um, telling the kids stories at night, maybe. We've kind of like tapped out by that point. Yeah. We try uh, to cover all genres, don't we, between us? We do. You do, yeah. So before we get into any of that, um, it, it's it's quite an action-packed few months for you both. Let's start off with the most recent news, uh, the launch of Kirsty's latest book, You Had Me at Halloumi. What's it all about? <laughs> so this time round, I've been writing under the pseudonym Ginger Jones mm-hmm. and You Had Me at Halloumi is pretty much what it is on the tin. It's um, a rom-com, <laughs> so based in Cyprus, and it follows Freya who goes out to Cyprus to try and win the Golden Spoon, which is a prestigious culinary award, and she has to try <laughs> and beat seven contestants to claim it. So there's a bit of sand, sea, and lots of cucumber. Um, okay. From a satsiki point of view, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. And I, I do, uh, the keen-eared listeners um, will will know that Caroline Sheldon did mention it when she was on. And uh, and I, it's a 10 out of 10 title. Absolutely love it. As soon as I heard it, I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff. I do want to ask, why the pseudonym Ginger Jones? Because your first book, um, Cowgirl, winner of the inaugural comedy women in print 2019 is is under Kirsty air not ginger jones yeah it's a really good question and quite a complicated answer so i'll try and keep it really simple just like my small brain but um basically there are many benefits to writing under a pseudonym if for example you wanted to break away from the genre that you're writing in and Mm -hmm. You know, it's difficult to to cross over, isn't it? So if, well, I think JK is probably a really good example of someone who's done something different with a different name. Yeah. I would say that's, from from what I see it as, that's m- more a sort of um, Stephen King kind of thing, where she's so famous for one thing that 
she needed to use a different name to actually do anything else. Yeah, let's be honest, Jamie, I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I've definitely, there's lots of um, authors who either started in children's or started in adult, but then wanted to do the opposite thing. and, And sometimes it's easier just to use a different name so that people don't confuse the two. Yes. And Ginger Jones sounds kind of culinary and spicy, doesn't she? (laughs) It does. Yeah. I like it. Focusing more on Adam now, looking ahead to August, where your latest, The Generation Killer, is out on the 18th. And this is the sequel to your dark supernatural police procedural, The Dying Squad. What's What's the elevator pitch for that series? Um, that's a good question. So yeah, the, the first in the series, the dying squad came out last July. Um, and it's about a detective who has to solve his own murder. Mm-hmm. So the dying squad, uh, are a supernatural police force that solve crimes that the, uh, the flesh and blood living police can't. So yeah, in the first book, Joe Lazarus has to solve his own murder. Uh, in the second book, he's on the trail of a serial killer in Manchester, called the generation killer who murders the youngest member of the family as well as the oldest kind of wiping out the generation line um and it's they're both kind of i guess although they they kind of deal a lot in the fantastical and the supernatural they're both kind of quite noir noir-y gritty um thrillers so it's kind of not particularly like the lightness of touch of say something like rivers of london it's a bit more blood and gutsy Oh, okay. A bit more visceral. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, do you, do you sort of lean into the grim, dark kind of areas where it's, you know, no good deed goes unpunished? A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've tried to keep, although they, they deal in the, the kind of fantastical, I've tried to keep them as realistic as possible. Mm-hmm. But I've also, I've tried to keep, there's dark humor in it. I think um, Daisy May, who, who's Joe's um, partner, she's quite, wise talking and a bit a bit kind of blunt speaking and hopefully the humor comes through her because i think if it's all too dark you just kind of get a bit anesthetized to it as a reader yeah you need the light and shade to kind of keep people reading yeah it's um it's like i'm a huge fan of joe abercrombie okay he very much has a it's fantasy and, and obviously a bit different but it's still a sort of very dark um bad things happen kind of world but Mm -hmm. he does that same thing where he cuts it with humor which kind of keeps you from just getting bogged down in all the terrible things that are happening absolutely yeah i mean he's he's a master at doing that (laughs) Uh, he really is and um yeah it's we've we've got the same publisher funnily enough um oh amazing they three glance yeah so glance have obviously got a type (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah dark humor they love it so the two of you very different styles um yeah Romance and cooking versus dark <laughs> coming back from the dead. Kind of yeah. Stuff. yeah. Do you ever consult each other and and do sort of critique and stuff for each other while you're writing stuff, or do you keep it very separate? We are each other's beta readers first and foremost, aren't oh, we? Amazing. So, um, that's one really great advantage, actually, of both of you writing. Even though we're writing completely different things, it's always brilliant to get that first pair of eyes on it and we will be the first to read each other's work yeah um, maybe we're a bit too brutally honest with each other with feedback <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's kind, of, it's kind of been an aspect of our relationship right from the start really because we met on a play 
that Kirsty was had written and was directing and I was making a film for it and I had like a small acting role in it as well. So that was that kind of critiquing each other's work and working together has been been there right from the start. And certainly with writing, like Kirsty's the one I want to impress the most. Like she sees it the first, she sees it first, and I always kind of want to impress her. Um, even though we've been doing it for quite a while now, she yeah. she would say that she takes the critique a lot better than I would, and she's <laughs> definitely right. <laughs> she's a hundred percent right. Do you think that comes from the theatre background? Are people more sort of savage in theatre critique? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think maybe, maybe. I, I, I mean, I, I think basically Adam likes me to prefix my feedback with, I mean, it's obviously fantastic. <laughs> yeah, don't you? Yeah, and like you're God and like no one's better than you. I worship you. Yeah. yeah this is amazing. I don't, you've ever written. I don't think that's unreasonable, to be honest. <laughs> I think that's standard practice in the industry. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Where you say something really nice, put the bad thing in the middle and they say something really nice at the end. <laughs> it, it completely is. I mean, because we, we both did like the Curtis Brown creative course. Uh-huh. Um, and that was one of the things they taught you when you, because there was a, you know, it revolved around feedback is like, say the good things first. And just from a human nature thing, it does make sense. Because I think if you start with the negative stuff, your kind of defenses go up a little bit. It's like, yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. You're an idiot. <laughs> but if, if you kind of say a few good things first, I think you're more open to the critiquing. Yeah. And then finish on good things as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think as well, when you live together and you've got children together and your lives are really interwoven, realistically when you're reading someone's work you don't have the luxury sorry of each other's work you don't have the luxury of going away reading the whole book and then consolidating your feedback and then playing it back you know in a really lovely way you're literally on the school run and then may have read like one chapter on the way into work and then I'm texting Adam just going chapter seven really loved it I think you've got some typos here don't understand this bit um I'm I'm lost now. Is this guy alive or is he dead or is he a ghost? And uh, and then yeah, it's not actually that eloquent in a text message, but it's just the fastest way of saying yeah, I've read a bit more. Here's my feedback. That's, yeah, that's good though because I mean the way that a lot of and I've been a member of a couple of critique groups. The way that a lot of them are structured are people send out the work in advance. You read it. You kind of put it together in a little document or, or what have you. Make some notes and then you come you sort of meet up somewhere some days maybe weeks later and you've had time to sort of very very clearly summarize it in your head and you can deliver it in a very sort of delicate way but the way that you guys are doing it that sort of whiplash reaction <laughs> might actually be better in some ways yeah it's more immediate i think yeah because i think sometimes that is a benefit to kind of have your first your initial take on it some things need a little bit more and it's also just a practicality thing isn't it really <laughs> like yeah i also think over time we've learned to share earlier you know early days you kind of wrap your hands around your manuscript and don't want anyone to read it until you've yeah. got it as good as you can get it which you're always trained to do obviously if you're pitching to an agent or a publisher of course but just in terms of a beta reader who is also your partner i think it pays dividends to show early in case you, the person just thinks that you're completely on the wrong track. And then, of course, you haven't invested months and months and written an entire novel that yeah. 
you know, has gone off piste a bit, really. So I think it it pays to show earlier, even if it's a bit scrappy. Yeah, I think if you have the right person, hundred percent true. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's the the good point. It's finding that person. Obviously, we're we're married. <laughs> you know, we've known each other quite a long time, so we kind of trust each other. Yeah, I think feedback is. 100% vital and you have to get used to getting it if you if you want to be a writer or anything in the creative industry really because you're going to get it all the time whether you mm-hmm. want it or not mm-hmm. but it is finding I think a, a group of people that you whose opinion you trust yeah um because otherwise it, I think it can be quite damaging um yeah and it's also about understanding the way that let's say you're in a group of five people so Mm. four people are going to critique your work it's about understanding what critique each of those people sort of individually will give you that's really good and the stuff that that you probably don't necessarily want to pay that much heed to what they're saying because everyone will have their own take and their own way that they sort of want to perceive things yeah and yeah, some people absolutely. are really good at one thing. Some people are really good at another thing. And and it's about understanding how the two of you kind of will create the best outcome, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the good things with Kirsty and I is because we do write in different genres and different styles. Yeah. I think it's good to have that kind of degree of separation because if mm-hmm. the, the, the kind of danger is if you just get feedback from people that work in the same genre and the same style, it's a bit of an echo chamber. Whereas with Kirsty, you know, or, or whether I'm doing her stuff or she does mine, we just kind of break it down in terms of does this work as a story, like the mechanics of it, which yeah. I think is quite useful. Yeah, and I, I agree that you need a cross-section really of beta readers. Um, I was lucky enough to pick up a few from my uh, Curtis Brown creative course that I was on. That was back in 2017. And the majority of us out of the 15 that were on the course are still on a WhatsApp group and read each other's work. Um, it's been really, really useful. And like you said, like different people bring different perspective and everyone helps you get your manuscript as good as you can get it. Yes, exactly. So you guys met while you were working in um, screenwriting and, and theatre. Were you were you both writing um, sort of uh, novels uh, at that point or did that come later? That's a good question. It came a little bit later, actually. So I was writing for theatre and Adam was writing for stage, uh, sorry, screen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Adam mentioned earlier that I abused the ca- the casting couch because I was directing Adam <laughs> in a play. A real, a real me, me too moment now, Jamie. A real <laughs> me too moment. And I remember casting Adam um, by text message because he was on his brother's stag do at the time. And I said, are you all right to accept the role of, of Dazza, who was a real lad in my play <laughs> called Happy Chuffing Christmas? And I remember Adam going, does it really matter that um, Dazza has actually got real bad sunburn at the moment? <laughs> and then that's kind of the start of a beautiful relationship, <laughs> wouldn't you say? Yeah. And it wasn't until um, we had our first child, Alfie, so that was 2012, that I think it was me that decided I was going to write this book. And part of it was previously when I used to write plays, I had the luxury of being able to spend evenings and weekends at rehearsals um, to actually direct the plays and put them on. Yeah. And then once you've got children, obviously, and they're very young, you're out of the game for all of that sort of thing. So I thought, what can I write where I have no dependency on either actors or crew? And I just thought, yeah, I'm going to just plod away at a novel. And that was the one that became Cowgirl. 
which oh, came okay. out in 2020. Yeah. It, it was a little different for me in that I'd, it wasn't particularly circumstance that made me start writing novels, but I'd, I'd made written and directed like three um, low budget features. And on the last one, I kind of felt I'd scratched the itch on it a bit and, and it kind of, it got a good a good few reviews and it did well on the festival circuit and it got kind of like a premiere in LA for it. And I kind of felt like I'd reached as much as I could go doing it in the way that I did in terms of like you're scraping money together to get this thing made. You're calling in every favor in the, in the book to get it done. And I just kind of felt I was constantly frustrated by like having to cut stuff because we couldn't do it because we didn't have the money or we couldn't get a location or we couldn't get an actor. So I just kind of needed a change of pace on it really. I think I, I, I started writing my first novel, which ultimately nothing happened with when we're on holiday I just wrote 2,000 words. I didn't really look at it for a week. I came back and looked at it and thought, oh, it's, it's all right. <laughs> and then then I kind of, it's been it's been pretty much a constant ever since. And did you guys do the Curtis Brown creative course t- together at the same time? No. So Adam went first and he did the six-month course. Uh-huh. Was, was yours 2016? Yeah, it would have been, yeah. And then I went the following year and did the cut-down version for three months. Uh, I don't okay. think I think it was a good idea actually to go separately. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know when you both got your agents, but were you? Was there a kind of a crossover where you were both submitting to agents through the sort of traditional open route? Yeah. So are we were, obviously we've just told you all the good bits about being a writing <laughs> couple, and there also some crazy times that we've had between us where you know one of you's on the up and one of you's on the down, mm-hmm. and then it's flip flopped, and then one of you's leapfrogged the other, and it's just been a, a long, long process. But there was a time where we were both out um, trying to pitch to just get an agent to get representation at the beginning. Yeah. Um, luckily, in the end, it happened with not too long between us, didn't it? I think. Um, but yeah, it, there were some tough times, I think, along the way. Yeah, I think that overall, it's been a brilliant thing, both of us writing, both of us kind of going for the same goal, because you can be supportive of each other. That There were a couple of tough times. I remember I, the book I'd written on the Curtis Brown course, ultimately kind of got got rejected. And then Kirsty got it was a pitch pitch day something you got you got a pitch day. Yeah, the irony is that it was for your agency the, that now represent you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ultimately the agency I went on to sign with. But like, obviously, I wasn't annoyed at Kirsty. Not much. <laughs> I was just annoyed at the situation. Like, not it, much, it, Jamie. It, it come at, it come at the end of a tough year. Um, Very tough. <laughs> but you know. It, I, I think now at this point, it's like, well, because ultimately you are a team. Like, what does it matter if one person sells a few more books or, you know, one person gets a wider release than the other? Like, when you've got to the point where you're both getting published and you've got an agent and stuff, I think a lot of the, the big, brutal fights have been won. Not yeah. that you ever take anything for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where it's difficult is where you don't have an agent and you haven't been published and you don't know when it's going to happen. I think that that's I think that's difficult for every writer and I'm sure most of your listeners can identify with that situation. Um but once you've got past that point, I, I do think the kind of the battles get a little bit easier, if never. You just have a 
you have like a more support, don't you? And you have sort of, um, uh, for for want of a better word, professional support, like knowing that there's an agent, someone who works in this industry that has looked at your work and said, yeah, this, we could sell this. We could, this could be a book. Yeah. You get that validation. Yeah. And that makes you feel like you're on the right track and that you're winning. And yeah, we obviously it didn't happen overnight and understand the plight very much of being a writer without an agent. And, you know, like sometimes you wonder why you're doing it and if you're deluded and, (laughs) you know, if you'll ever get representation, if anything will ever be published. But it is worth sticking with. Um, And, yeah, there will be many hurdles to jump. Even once you've got your agent and and published, there are more hurdles to jump. But Mm. they are the biggest hurdles right at the beginning. Yes. Because I I guess a part of it is you are an unknown quantity even to yourself. You know, there's I think there's a part in every writer before they get past those first hurdles where they say, you know, I'm I'm writing a lot and I think I'm doing it right, but is it actually good? Yeah. And and I think you should never really lose that. I think when you kind of lose that thing of like, can I do this again? When you know, when you're coming down to sit each morning or whenever you're writing, you should there should be a little bit of you thinking, can I do this again? Because I think when you take it for granted and you get too cocky, then I think that's where you kind of your radar goes off a little bit of when you know when something's good or not. Yes. Um, and I think that that is something that gets a bit easier the more you do it because you've proved to yourself, you know, you've written that second book or third book or whatever. But there's there should always be a little bit of an element of like almost like applying to be able to do the job again each time you sit down to write. Yeah. Because it is a privilege. And um yeah, she's definitely never take it for granted. Yeah, and you do definitely learn something new with every single book and it teaches you what you got right the first time that you might not get right the second time as much as it does uh, you getting faster each time and recognizing uh, that you're writing yourself down a rabbit hole earlier, I find. So I find generally speaking with each book, you get a little bit faster, uh, not so much how many words you can get down in one minute, um, but more just the structure of a book and making sure you don't go off piste. Yes. But at the same time, you might have accidentally got something right previously <laughs> that you then screw up on your second time round or your third. But yeah. Yeah, it's important to know what you got right, not just sort of not realize that you got something right and then fail to do that in the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, you're with, uh, is it Harry Illingworth? Your, it is. Your yeah. Agent at, yeah. At um, DHH. That's right. And Kirsty, you're with. You're now with Caroline Sheldon, but you originally submitted to Felicity. True. That's right. So it's the same agency. Yeah. Um, and I think previously um, when you referenced, you had me at Halloumi, it was um, Felicity who come on to chat with you. I think it was um, Caroline. Too. Was it Caroline as <laughs> yeah, well? Yeah. I had them both on, I think, yeah. within like ah, two weeks. Okay. So. <laughs> I remember Felicity telling me all about it and I listened to the podcast mm, and she okay. mentioned you had me at Halloumi. Um, yeah. So she has moved to a different role now. And so yeah. I'm now represented by Caroline, but I'm still with the same agency. Yeah. But I mean, Felicity, was, she's been on twice. Um, and she was one of the first people in publishing that I was lucky enough to 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 meet and really have a have a good chat with. So um, although she's moved into a different career, she must have been, I, I imagine she was wonderful to to work with. 
She was fab, and um, she only lives a quarter of a mile away from me as well. So, oh, lovely! Yeah, yeah. She had the same part and the, <laughs> the same good. co-op. Oh, okay. So you bump into her. <laughs> um, was it was it strange moving over to Caroline? Um, it's quite a recent thing, and weirdly, it wasn't that strange. Uh, it was all done over Zoom because we hadn't seen a lot of each other over the last couple of years for COVID reasons. Yeah. Um, but no, it's been pretty smooth actually. Um, they're definitely like a, a different style, and I appreciate them both for in different ways. Um, yeah, Caroline has obviously got a wealth of experience and has probably gone through like most scenarios that could happen with an author she's already gone through. Yeah. So she's a great sounding board, and I, I feel really lucky to have her. Yes, having spoken to both of them they 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 very much come across as they were on a very similar wavelength um when they worked together yeah they're really good friends as well and with it being just the two agents and the boutique agency they yeah they obviously shared a lot together yeah 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 which is great um well i'm glad to hear the transition hasn't really rocked the boat much yeah it's been great before we move on to the final question um, I, I like to ask people if they can give advice for things that they've learned. So one at a time here, what is the single best piece of advice that you've been given throughout, throughout your writing and creative careers? Ooh. I'm going to cheat and just <laughs> do, do two. Okay. The, the, the first one was write how you talk which I think is a brilliant piece of advice for if for you kind of developing your voice mm-hmm. because only you talk like you. And if you can translate that to the page, then I think half the battle's won already. The second was in terms of getting an agent, um, get a, try and find an agent that's vaguely, vaguely kind of got similarities to you in terms of like cultural references, blah, 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 blah. And also like, a young hungry fighter. So someone not necessarily, you know, that's kind of been in the game for ages, but someone who's roughly at the same point as you, because they will kind of die for you, fight battles for you and look for opportunities for you. I think that they're the two pieces of advice that have, I took to heart and were really proved to be true. Yes. I think especially about when you look through um, agents who are open to submissions, a, a lot of the time, younger agents, are open more frequently and it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's just because older agents have pretty much a full catalog and they aren't yeah. necessarily looking to expand their mm-hmm. their their list any more than that yeah absolutely and kirsty yeah i'd probably say um yeah greatest advice would be uh quite often when you submit your manuscript you're obviously first of all sending off the first opening chapters and they are the ones that you tend to polish and polish and polish because you know that that one is your ticket to being asked for a full manuscript. Um, the only thing is I would say is please, like invest more time in the rest of the manuscript. <laughs> You've got to take that leap of faith that you're going to be asked for the full manuscript and then get the rest of it up to the quality of the first opening chapters. Yeah. Particularly if you're entering a competition as well. I found. Mm, okay. Yeah. Is is that something that you've been burned by before? 
Um, I just noticed it more. So with the Comedy Women in Print prize, um, I remember polishing and polishing and polishing the opening chapters, sending that off, and then being in a complete whirlwind panic about uh, the rest of the manuscript. So I kind of regretted it myself. But then the following year, they asked me back to be a judge on the Comedy Women in Print. I think that was the 2020 panel for the 2021 winner. And Mm -hmm. yeah, when the submissions came in, um, the focus had always been on the opening chapters, which is like, just get me, get me noticed. Uh, And then, yeah, there's a a big difference. So I would say, have that faith that you're going to be asked for it and get the, the rest of the book up to speed as well. Yeah, no, great advice. And and I'm I'm sure that that happens a lot more than uh, most people would expect. And that brings us on to the final question, which, uh, as always, is if you were stranded on separate desert islands and could take <laughs> one book each, which book would you take? Um, I would take The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, aged 13 and three quarters, because I think that it stood the test of time and Mm -hmm. is, I think, the funniest uh, book with the most amount of heart I've probably read in my entire life, and I read it again and again. It's sitting next to me right now. (laughs) It's a wonderful book and very popular amongst um, all the people that I've spoken to in, in publishing. Oh, I just love it. I think Sue Townsend is an absolute legend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah excellent choice. How about you, Adam? Mine would be uh, a little ruder, uh, Kill Your <laughs> Friends by John Niven. Oh, yeah. Which mm-hmm. is my, one of my, 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 it was the book that made me want to write a book uh, okay. when, I, when I read it. Um, I mean, it's like, it's so outrageous. I'm not even sure it get published now, to be honest. <laughs> it's so, so frequently disgraceful. But it's just my sort of humour. Uh, it's really bad taste. It kind of deals with a, a period of music, which is one of my favourite pieces of music, Brit pop. Um, and it's also in terms of if you want to kind of learn how to write pace and structure and how to kind of the cyclical nature of storytelling, it is a brilliant example of that, which I, I don't think it probably gets enough, enough credit for it. Um, so, yeah, I, it's the one book I, I reread. I reread it every year. So it'd be Kill Your Friends. Yeah, yeah, I know it. Didn't they do a film of it? They did do a film of it. Yeah, it was a very faithful adaption to it. I think I think John Niven did the screenplay for it. Um, um, yeah, it was it was definitely one of the better adaptions. Yes, yes. It reminded me of American Psycho. Yeah, they definitely had that vibe to it. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, guys, um, for coming on and sharing uh, a little glimpse into what's going on with you and uh, what it's like to be a writing couple. <laughs> Pleasure. Thanks for yeah, having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Uh, and for everyone listening, if you want to keep up with everything that Kirsty and Adam are doing, you can follow Kirsty on Twitter at Kirsty Jane Eyre, and Eyre is spelled E Y R E. On Instagram, she's Eyre.Kirsty. Adam on Twitter is Adam Simcox, and on Instagram is Simcox Adam. To make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Right and Wrong UK for Twitter and Right and Wrong Podcast on Instagram. Thanks again for Kirsty and Adam. It's been really great chatting and thanks to everybody listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for hanging around until the end. If you're interested in starting your own podcast but aren't really sure what that looks like, I can't recommend Zencaster enough. It's so simple to host, record and download your podcast with and it even has a built-in transcription AI. 
It functions entirely in the internet browser, which means all your guests have to do is click on a link and they'll be brought into the conversation. If you click on the link in the description, you'll get 30% off the first three months. All you have to do is click on the link in the description. Thanks again for supporting the show and we'll see you in the next episode.